Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Women. We literally are creating what the world looks like, right? And I'm not saying men don't have a part in that because men catalyze women through sex to create the world around us with our psychic wounds. And so when the women are happy, the society, you're not going to have 50 million people in jail when the women are happy. You're not going to have the oceans being overrun by oil spills. When the women are choosing and the women are running this sexual chi through our existence. Welcome back to Open Late. I'm your host, Jessica Spandiari, and this is a Soul Fire production. My loves, I'm so excited today because I have an incredible author, speaker, relationship coach um, on the show with me, uh, Ms. Kenya Stevens, and she is the CEO and founder of Progressive Love Academy. Their thing is they will divorce-proof your marriage. I kid you not, when I saw this, I was like, I got, my, I got my pink little sticky notes and I started taking notes. So I heard Kenya first on um, Alexa's show. Y'all know Alexa, that sex chick. She is another queen in this space. And so I couldn't wait to invite this queen, Kenya Stevens, on today. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. This is fun. And I love Alexa. You all are internet friends, huh? Yes, we are. We have never met in person, but you know, we talk, you know, little Instagram friends and we did a show swap back in the spring. I was on her show and then I had her on open late. And I think we just see each other, what we're all up to and just root each other on. We really stand for the same thing. And so I think that's why I was drawn to your episode as well. Um, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself because this is, we've never met before either. And so to me, to my listeners, you know, how did you end up in this, you know, open marriage creator of such a beautiful communication system? You know, you wrote this book, obviously you don't have to do it all in the answer to this question, but give us, I guess, the, the dawn of what sparked all of this for you and your husband. Well, my husband and I, you know, we had a real perilous marriage. We had a hard time in the first 10 years. I've been married 26 years, 27 on the 17th year of August, but we've been married 26 years and um, we had a rocky start. You understand? Really perilous, you know, with there being no training for marriage. So, <laughs> you know, my husband and I went into love coaching because we had to heal our marriage and make it work. You know, we have three beautiful kids. And so we started to really study what it takes to make a relationship work. And we've written 12 books since and have been in business 17 years, divorce proofing marriages. Wow. <laughs> 12 books. Yes. That's incredible. Now I've, I've actually heard you talk a little bit about how you've been really spiritual since you were young. Like you get these downloads and spiritual hits. Do you write your books that way? Are they like channeled works? All of our books are channeled. 
So when, when I channel information, I share it with my husband, he channels information. That's like our relationship is based on like mediumship. What is that? So, you know, but that's the only thing that really helped us. We went to couples counseling for 10 years. That made us worse. You know, we went to therapy. We did all the traditional Western methodologies and they were not effective for us. So we had to start channeling, you know, different tools that would be supportive for our particular issues, which we found out were a lot of people's issues. You know, the biggest thing, taking something personal. Everything I said, my husband would take it personal. If I was upset, angry or crying or sad, he only wanted me to be happy. Like he wanted me to be a Stepford wife. And, yeah. if I, and I would try this and then the emotions would boil over and I would just go off. You understand? It was like, like go off. Like we have to call the police, go off. Like, so that did not work for us. And we couldn't find communication that worked. And then especially when you become poly, oh, forget it. You have to communicate even more. So that's sort of what kicked it off, a bad marriage. <laughs> okay. It's so interesting that you will openly say that none of this worked, right? You had to really create your own system. It sounds like your own system for communication, which we'll get into because that's, you know, what your, I think your entire company is based around. Um, but can I ask like, why go at something so long when it's not working? Like if you're spending 10 years in the therapy and and this, this and that, because for most people they're like, oh yeah, therapy saved our marriage. Um, yeah. I mean, what was marriage like for those 10 years while, you know, you're trying to make something shift and you're not getting the, the proper shift, you know, why not divorce? Oh, we didn't believe in divorce from the start. I mean, we did not believe in divorce. My parents are not divorced. My grandparents are not divorced on both sides. His people's not divorced. We just don't believe in divorce. So we're more like old school. So we were never going to divorce. But the point was, is that we thought that you could just be miserably married and that was okay. Mm. You know? <laughs> and that's, yeah, you know, it, it, it's really challenging to find a happy power couple. Only 4% of those married today are, would consider themselves a happily married power couple. You know, the vast majority are un, you know, miserably married. And then there are sexless marriages. And then, you know, it's just, there's a whole compadre of different areas of marriage. People just think, oh, you're married. That's great. But there's different levels to marriage. Oh, there's all different kinds. Yep. (laughs) I'm so glad I asked the question because I actually, I had a feeling that that was the answer. It was like, okay, we are, we're committed to this because this is actually the type of marriage that we've learned that we've seen from our parents, from our grandparents. It's like, you just stay married. And most of these marriages that I've like watched and, you know, and seen in my life, look this way. They are unhappy. They are tumultuous. They're, you know, there's nothing about them that's like partnership, um, except for the fact that we're going to live under the same roof and argue. We're going to argue in partnership all the time. Um, so I think it's just, it's an interesting like point to see that that is what people, many people, like, I think, especially in our Western cultures are born into and this is the norm. And so it's like death to till death do us part, but we're going to live miserably. Right. Yeah. And so you were like, okay, we're here, but we can't keep doing this. So what was the, did you get to a place where it felt good and it felt healthy partnership through what you were creating first? Or did you open up first? No, we, well, my husband and I, we had already, so in the first 10 years of our marriage, 
we had gone through sort of a spiritual initiation to where we had tools like meditation, um, feng shui, tantra. You understand all of the baseline sort of what Westerners know about the broad Eastern cultures. So we had that baseline that also helped. But what did it look like before we opened? We were still we didn't have a communication system. But because we had all those other things, spiritual sort of enlightenment tools, we were able to always find the growth. What, how are we growing? Okay, this is terrible, but how are we going to grow through this? You understand? But um, so we could open to Polly. It was fine. Like we had a very smooth transition to Polly. It took two years. We talked about it. We decided, you know, I went first because you know, we have this whole philosophy that the least comfortable person goes first. Like we had all of that wrapped up in the bag. But then once we went poly, it went back to really terrible again. <laughs> so the communication system was born out of that. Okay. Poly. Yeah. Interesting. So the journey was almost like, okay, we have these tools for um, learning to evolve and like, you know, continue to grow into our best selves. And then so that Polly was like born out of that. And then the communication came like out of a necessity there you once go. you were open. None of the wisdom systems had a communication uh, framework. You know what I'm saying? We studied all types of the wisdom systems, all yoga, tantra, and nobody's saying, okay, here's how step-by-step step to communicate. They can say, here's step-by-step step how to become more flexible how to have a deeper orgasm, how right. to, you know, but what about like just basically talking about this stuff where we have these blowups. So that's where we stepped in and grabbed that niche for us. Nonviolent communication did not work. Radical honesty didn't work. Those are like two polar opposite uh, frameworks. So ours is more right in the middle there. And that's why it works so well for us and all of our clients. Yeah. Wow. Now, okay, I have like so many questions because I heard you say like, I heard you say before too, when I was doing a little bit of research and I'm like, okay, I have to have you on my show because it struck a chord. You said language shapes how we feel about who we are. And I always talk about on the show, like I'm a big proponent of it. the way that you feel about yourself is how you're going to be with your partner, right? So if I'm feeling shitty about like who I am, then I'm like already bringing that to my relationship. I'm bringing that version of me into every, you know, conversation or argument or point of contention. So when I heard that, I was like, I agree so much there. You know, we created a dictionary for open relationship terms, which, you know, there are a bunch out there, but I did it when I first started the show because I'm like, if people don't know how to kind of talk about the things that they want, the desires that they have, right? They're, then they're limited in their expression. They might go to somebody, I'm, I really want to be in an open relationship, but they might not. They might actually just kind of want monogamish, but they're going to communicate the wrong thing. And so I, when I heard that from you, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Can you speak more into that? You know, lang language shapes how we feel about who we are. Language shapes how we feel about who we are. Um, the biggest thing around communication, you know, all the therapists, all everybody talks about, well, this is a communication issue. Well, what's the specific communication issue? For us, we um, drilled it down to the fact that we don't know who's speaking when we're speaking. So you talk about how do you feel about yourself, which self? 
So we identified the three parts of ourselves that could possibly be speaking. So like if I'm self-criticizing myself, that's ego. <laughs> yeah. You understand? If I am in an emotion, ah, you know, just no words, just seeing red or depressed, that's animal. And then if I am in my higher self, the third component, I know that all is well. Everything will grow me. Nothing is against me. You understand? So I know who's speaking. You have to identify who's speaking. That's the first part of the up-level technology. You have to identify to your partner who is speaking. Because if not, they're going to not know you and you won't know yourself. A lot of people say, well, you disrespected me. I'm mad because you disrespected me. You slept with her and we didn't have an agreement for that and such and so forth, right? Who's speaking? Right. Which version of you? Which version yeah. of you? Is this your animal, your ego, or your higher self? And when you know that, if I know it's my ego speaking, then I'm going to take you with a grain of salt. I know that I can't blame you and accuse you if it's coming from my ego. That's just my ego. It's just a story. The ego just makes up stories all day long based on how the animal is feeling. The ego said, oh, you feel like that? Because they disrespected you. They broke an agreement. That's just the ego. But we think it's true, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if we believe that's true, then what do we believe about ourselves? That we're just a big, gigantic ego. That's all we are. Right. Separate from everything. Mm -hmm. Separate from the higher self that knows she did nothing wrong. We are one. Nothing is against us. Everything is served to further. Everything is growing us. Hmm. Wow, I have chills everywhere as you're speaking. <laughs> Good. Resonates. Yeah. yeah, it really resonates. I actually, so when I first started my sort of personal development journey 10, 10 years ago, actually, I was 27. I took a course that my husband was like deep in and at the time we were just dating. We weren't even dating. We were just fucking. And he was like, you have to take this course. And I was like, okay, you know, seems like, seems like a cult actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up being like a, a very beautiful program, but it's very, it's very intense. And one of the best things I ever got out of that program was the phrase, the story I'm telling myself is. So when you said just now, like the story, we're constantly in a story. That was probably one of the best pieces of like one of the best tools I think I took away was to realize that my reality is just my perspective. And you're just, this is like such a cherry on top and sprinkles that you're sharing about these different archetypes that we could be presenting as. And I think like what's really interesting and for people who are listening, the, we, I talk a lot on the show about kind of like how to hold space for your partner, how to just be like a neutral kind of container for them to be honest and share whatever it is, right? Their desires, their fears, their hurts. So if I'm like, okay, I'm coming at you right now, but this is my animal. It's almost like it gives my partner the opportunity and me the permission to be honest and my partner to be like, I need to let her get this emotion out. It has nothing to do with me. It's not personal. Um, and yeah, so I just, I really love that you're sharing that because it's so helpful to know what is needed from you. Yes. My husband's constantly trying to fix 
Oh, I have to remind him sometimes. Like sometimes I'd be like, I don't need anything from you. I just need you to listen. Like you can't fix this problem that I have over here. That's something at work or with a girlfriend or whatever. I just, I just need a listener. Right. But also it would be, this is a little ramble I'm going on. It'd be great for me to realize that he's maybe not the person I need to listen to me anyway. Oh, no, maybe I should. Trained. No, he can be trained. That is exactly what Uplevel does. Our clients, all of our clients are trained. Like, it's not like, oh, men, they just want to fix it. Maybe he's not the best. No, every man I know who utilizes this has now be- lost his fear of feminine emotion. In the United States and in Western culture in general, men, the masculine is afraid of the feminine. This is a scary place, you know, but meanwhile, they're always projecting their unsurfaced and unfelt emotions through us. So we're acting extraordinarily emotional because they will not touch their emotional state. So that's an issue. But these containers you talk about, Uplevel has a container wherein you can do all of this and state all of this and share any emotion and scream and rant or cry, whatever, and your partner can hold space. However, our framework offers the exact soothings that, you know, you can ask for or the exact, you understand, the exactness of it is beautiful. And you don't stay stuck inventing. You know, we move through processing, ownership, and gratitude as well. So there's a framework for each of those. So I just love the concept and I love it for poly people because when you poly, honey, you have things to talk about. All day. All day. <laughs> All day. And, and, and everybody's afraid of, you know, poly because they, they're afraid of their emotions. They're afraid to feel jealous. They don't want to feel insecurity. So I don't want to hear about poly. That's so ridiculous. I, and it's nothing but fear of feeling that emotion. But with up level communication, you can feel the emotion, no problem. And you know, somebody's going to hold space and they're going to know the exact soothings that they can take you down in your levels back to a zero from a 10 even. So (laughs) that's beautiful. Does, does up level work like for solo work as well? Or is it like really just meant for partnership? Cause everything you're saying, I'm like, this is a, sounds like an amazing tool, even for somebody who's not coupled. Right. Anyone, any human who wants to be more humane in their communication, who wants to have a sane communication rather than the language of war that we have learned in this culture, they can use up level. It does not require a partner because you can use it with anyone, even if they don't know the framework. So yeah, we use it with our kids. All my clients use it with their kids. They use it at work. They use it in their, their client acquisition. They use it. I mean, it, it should be in schools, the government, corporate, You understand. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. 
Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. I do. I do. I'm like dreaming of what that world looks like. Um, and I think we're like, we, we are really moving there. I mean, things look really bad in this country. I mean, they look bad in a lot of places, but you know, we both live in the US and we can speak to that. But there is this glimmer that I see so much change and, and a lot of progressiveness that used to be so fringe, like polyamory is now, you know, a bit more mainstream, a bit more accepted. People are talking about it a lot. Everybody's Googling it. Google can tell you that the, the hits on, you know, terms like open relationship, not monogamy, polyamory have skyrocketed. Yes. That's partially because of the people who found it and did the early work. We've been doing this for 17 years. We've been on 12 television shows. Dr. Phil cussed us out about polyamory in 2011 on his show. We've been ABC News, Fox News, CNN, uh, Monique's show. And we have our own show coming out this fall on TLC. So, wow, beautiful. Yeah, we'll be the first show that shows women having multiple male partners rather than just sister wives or, you know, finding sister wife. You know, it's like, where's the Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Everybody like, and everybody like confuses, you know, I'll, I'll get a lot of like, you know, hits sometimes online or DMs and people are like, oh, polygamy. Da, da, da. And I'm like, first of all, it's polyamory. And it's interesting that no, no one knows polyandry, which is the term for like when women have multiple husbands or partners. I'm, I mean, I think it's in our culture, it's kind of obvious why people are, you know, everyone sees multiple female partners with like one male or like the multiple, you know, female wives. Why do you think that that is where everything moved first? And that's the more accepted thing to look at. Because polyamory, I mean, polygyny or men having multiple partners is a part of this culture. You have to think from the time we got here, you know, I'm African-American. My grandmother has 11 children. Five of them are from the person who was an overseer or the, the owner of her. And then five of them were from her husband. So these men who came and settled this country, they were always having multiple partners, always having lovers, always having concubines, always having slave women to have sex with. Always. This was never, never not a part of the culture. Um, would they say in Sex at Dawn by Chris Ryan that the invention of monogamy was also the invention of prostitution and you understand the side piece, basically. So yeah. they, they never intended, monogamy was never, ever intended for men. Mm. Not made or created for men. It was created to keep the feminine in check. Yes. Okay, so now it's like, oh, the feminine likes sex? We didn't even know. Oh, like they have no idea what feminine anatomy is, feminine sexuality, but they, like they're learning that for the first time in the past 10 years. Yeah. And, and in fact, like we're all learning it because we've been like shielded from our own. It's not even like, you know, I think with monogamy and with shutting women, you know, down in a certain way, hundreds of years ago, right. That now we all are born into this system. Um, women have been so cut off that we need to like relearn our bodies. We need to relearn sexuality and understand that it is just as much for us that it is for them. If not more, because I find that like, yeah, most women are like the most sexual and 
you, you know, the, <laughs> the older we get, the more we want it, the more we need it. Um, I, I love that sex at dawn was the first book that I ever read where I was like, Hmm, interesting here. <laughs> and then I always, I always, uh, send a lot of praise to, um, Wednesday Martin who wrote untrue. I don't know if you know that book, but yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's called untrue. And the subtitle is everything you've learned about female sexuality is untrue. And her book is a ton of research on, you know, how we stem from matriarchal societies and how, you know, the bonobos, right. Were really where we come from and how it was this, this sort of evolutionary and social construct for women to mate with as the, the female bonobos to mate with as many men as possible because it would actually further the species. And then you have a likelihood that the entire male part of the tribe was going to take care of all the children rather right. than there being that separateness of I'm only going to take care of what I know is mine. It's like, well, if you don't have any idea. And so it was this social weaving that the women did purposefully. And the women not doing that anymore in our culture, now you have 8 million women who are infertile. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about, you can say, well, that's because of diet or blah, blah, blah. No, it's because of how we're living as women and how our sexuality is not able to be expressed. If you're not expressive or orgasmic, or if you're not even able to choose your lovers when you want them, you're like the moon. Your sexuality changes every day of that 28-day cycle. You may want a different person. We don't have that allotment like the Native Americans did, the Africans did, the Celtics did, the people who are indigenous. You understand ancient indigenous people. They understood this. So that's what Sex at Dawn is talking about. It, it, it's Yes, bonobos did that, but yes, the humans of Africa and the humans of South America and the humans of the early Americas did that. And that kept the women fertile, happy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that actually created, like, this is the deeper part, Jessica. Now, I want you to see if you can hold on to this. Women, we literally are creating what the world looks like, right? And I'm not saying men don't have a part in that because men catalyze women through sex to create the world around us with our psychic wounds. And so when the women are happy, the society, you're not going to have 50 million people to, in jail when the women are happy. You're not going to have the oceans being overrun by oil spills. You're not going to have the, when the women are choosing and the women are running this sexual cheat through our existence. <laughs> I am loving this interview so much. <laughs> now that's the deeper part, okay? Yeah. It's so true though. I mean, we were literally like birthing spirit every day too. Like as women, you know, taking spirit into a physical realm. So if you are a happy person, you're also going to create happy children. And I, so it's so crazy because I've just gotten deep into, we're talking a lot about books here, we're talking about your book, but we're mentioning all these other books. I renewer to the work of Mama Gina and pussy and all of that power. So everything you're saying is really resonating. Um, and it's so true. I have many, many friends and I'm sure many people listening to this, you know, where we, we deal with infertility. I mean, I had a hysterectomy when I was 28. Um, you know, and so the, the thought of like, the thought of having kids then wasn't really a blip on my radar, but now one of the main reasons that I switched about two years ago from never wanting children to really wanting them is because somebody said something to me 
a couple things, but this thing really stuck out. They were like, well, but you and you and Pasha would make like the most conscious kids, right? Because we were talking about polyamory and raising our kids in community and wanting to do it on a commune. And we have all these friends that want to come with us. And they're like, but think about the kids you would have. They would like change the world. And a little ego came up and I was like, you're right. My kids would change the world. (laughs) I'm not going to have kids. And that, that really like resonated for me to realize, oh, there is, there is so much power and not power in like a powerful way, power in like a presence in creating that world. And I want to be a part of that, like to, to leave that as my mark, not really, I don't know. I just saw things differently after that. So where do we go from here? My God, (laughs) (laughs) we can go deeper or we can come back to the surface. Your choice. (laughs) Oh God, let's go deeper. I do. Well, I do want to bring it through a little bit back to your polyamorous relationship. My listeners do love hearing how are people doing it? How is it possible? How does it look different for everybody? So maybe if you could take us back to when you first opened up, what did that look like? How have you navigated the last, it sounds like like 12 or so years in a polyamorous marriage? You both have multiple partners. Give, like, give us the cliff notes, I guess, and then we can get a better picture of how you both operate. Absolutely. We are, um, we've been poly for 17 years. So (laughs) again, we were in the front and getting all the daggers back in 2005 when we started our company on polyamory. And so we have developed very deep, succinct systems on how to deal with the relationships. Um, Not only just the communication portion, which is urgently important, even if you're monogamous, uh, you need it. But the second piece of that is what we call the nine expressions of love. So my husband and I have found um, a system that helps us categorize our relationships. The biggest thing for me and for him is that we know the purpose of our relationships. So you understand we have these nine basic formats for relating that help people to understand what this relationship is about. So for instance, I have two husbands. One of them is a soul choice. And the other one is a womb choice. So we have these words and these names and this archetype to help identify what the relationship's about. And that helps us not only to stay in our lane, but not drag other things into the relationship. So a womb choice is a man who's like, as soon as you meet him, your pussy doesn't keep him. You're like, oh my God, I have to sleep with him. Like, what? Yeah. You feel that? Like, ah." and you know, that's personal with you and him. And that's the combination of your energy. So if you get with a womb choice, you have to understand what womb choice entails. And don't try to make him into support choice, which is domestic. Don't try to make him into crown choice, which is about being a guru and a sage and spirituality. Don't try to make him, you understand? Because if you do that, then you're not really honoring what that container is. So we have all those nine choices that help us to really identify what our partners are. And that helps us to even quell jealousy. Because if I know I'm your soul choice, like me and my husband, that means we have a life mission to do together. Our, 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 our relationships mostly work, writing books, downloading information, tweaking and orgasming off of changing the world. <laughs> yes. So I don't have to pull in. He doesn't have to be my passionate womb choice. You understand? So 
we have developed that system. It's the nine expressions of love. Sanu, bring me that book by you. So mm-hmm. that's one of the systems we use to really help our poly. Uh-huh. Amazing. Nine expressions of love. Beautiful. Yeah. This helps monogamous people too, because I was just going to say that. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you know why, Jessica, because they try to make every, the, the man or the woman be everything. And that leads to divorce. Yeah. It's Period. so much pressure. It's so much pressure. Do you have a lot of monogamous um, clients, like people who come through like, you know, the program and divorce proof your marriage, they stay monogamous for the most part, or is it 50, 50? I would say it's 70, 30. I have mostly monogamous people, but they want to be divorce proof. I think monogamous people want to be divorce proof more than poly people, but that's a generalization. But my monogamous people stay, stay monogamous, but I expand them into more freedom-based monogamy. Mm. So that's not monogamish. It's just, they have a free range to bring information back and desires and fulfill their desires. Yeah. Right. I love that. Like real, like real honesty with their partner talking about being okay with talking about maybe other lovers, but never acting on it. Is that? Sure. But even games, we give them exercises like, Oh, we're going to go to the club Saturday night and each of us see how many numbers we can get. Oh, fun. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fun for me. (laughs) You don't have to go all the way. You know, you can just, you know, have some fun. We have a hundred games like that, where we support our clients with that type of thing. Monogamous clients. This is incredible. Where are you guys based? We're based in Houston, USA, down in Texas. Yeah. Love Houston. My husband actually lived there for five years before we met and we have family there. So we go every now and then. Yeah. Okay. So this is so wild and interesting. I just, I love this so much. And I just talk about this all the time, how you cannot get your needs met from one person. I mean, you can try. And people stay married for a long time, as we were talking about earlier, in relationships where that is what they're doing. And many people, and hear this if you're listening, who maybe you don't even realize you're trying to do that, but if you're the type of person that is threatened by your partner having female friends or male friends, or you guys spend all of your time together and you don't have a big community to lean on and hang out with and spend time apart so that you can come back to each other like as new, that is likely unhealthy. So start to think about some of these things. And even in your friendships, where can I get some of these needs met? Like who is my support system? Who is my, did you say crown chakra? Crown choice, womb yeah, choice. Yeah, crown choice. Money choice. Um, power. I mean, there's, there's nine and they're just really critical. But yes, you can get those needs met non-sexually. I think except for womb choice. Now I feel yeah, no, sorry no. for ladies. Now wait a minute. <laughs> I feel, it's impossible. All right, like I feel sorry for women because I was that woman who is married and who loves your husband truly and is monogamous. And the there's no married people. There's no people who live in the same house who are womb choice. If you move in with your womb choice, that passion will subside because you've removed the polarity. So. Every married person is missing womb choice energy. So it's hard to conceive of how my life would have been if I weren't able to have my womb choices now. Because like I can still be with my husband, love him, but what happens 
to a dream deferred? What happens when you desire, have a desire for attention to be worshiped, to be truly understand inundated with passion? How do you get that? I, I just don't understand how the ladies are doing it. I was going crazy when I couldn't have it. They're going crazy. That's how they're doing it, I think. Or And suppressing. If you think about how many women in this country are on medication oh. that suppresses the passion. Jessica. But, yeah. but Jessica, Jessica, forget the medication. That's that's terrible enough because that's going to end out your sex drive. It's going to go ahead and do yeah. it. <laughs> that's but, what I mean. Yeah. But look back to what we said. The culture. Mm-hmm. If women aren't getting this need met, then look around at the anger. People walking in schools and just shooting them up. Mm-hmm. People walking around just, you know, so angry that road rage and, and just violence and just hatred. That's that is the women who are unhappy. So I know people don't equate that. But if we could just move a little bit into woo and consider that, I would be so happy. I want to see that before this lifetime is over, Jessica. Same. I really do believe, I believe so strongly we will. I'm, I'm one of those believers in the 4%, like the tipping point of consciousness. I believe. Yeah. I'm a believer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I was, oh, <laughs> I need to come meet you. So you guys do live events? We do. We mostly, I do private coaching. I work celebrities, professionals. Um, my daughter is a coach. She lives here in Houston. My husband's a coach. He lives here. My other husband lives here. He's our financial manager. So we run our entire business. And you were saying about communities, what we want to do next, people are trying to build communities. You need a foundational, like a constitution, a tools system for a community. Mm. Get us. We're the ones to help you with that. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I would love for you to share a little bit about this because I did hear you talk about in this previous interview that I listened to, uh, you have principles and protocols, right? Can you share a little bit about why those terms, what that even means? Um, cause I think it's so interesting. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, we call them agreements. Uh, we don't have rules. Everyone's like, what are your relationship rules and your boundaries? I'm like, no, we, we have agreements. We have things that we've agreed upon, you know, as a partnership. And, and that's that. Like, I don't like rules. I know you don't like rules either. So how, why principles? And if you can share a little bit about like how that functions in this floor that you talk about. Oh yeah. We talked about the floor of a relationship. Typically you know, married couples who are on the brink of divorce don't have a floor. Even married couples who just got married don't have a floor. So that's the first thing we establish. And that floor is made of higher self principles. So I shared what the principles were on the other show, but it just, it's simple. It's Dr. Seuss, like no shame and no blame. Shame and blame don't belong in the relationship. You understand? Ego will try to put it in the relationship, but put a container around that. That's a vent. Actually, there's no shame and blame in a loving relationship. There's no victims and no villains in a loving relationship. So there's about five of these floor principles that really are the principles of how your higher self sees the world. And that is how we start to formulate protocols. We don't formulate protocols based on ego because ego is always lying. Ego don't even know. Ego just is a story. So if I have a story that you're going to do this, you're going to leave me. I'll make a rule. No sleeping out or no uh, real relationship, like swinger. We're going to be swinger. No real relationships with anybody. 
Well, that's a rule based on my ego. Why would I allow my ego? My ego doesn't know how to run my digestion. It doesn't know how to run my heart. It does not know how to run my brain synapses. Why would I let it run my relationship? Yeah. (laughs) So whenever you're making rules based on ego, you know that you have a concern and you should come see me because I'm the best in the world at reformulating, reconfiguring some brain surgery to start thinking from your higher self and configuring your life from there. Wow. I could listen to you talk all day. Like That's why I was like, do you do live stuff? I just want to come sit in the front seat, front row of your audience, wherever that is. I'm like, oh no, honestly, like I want to see you do like live readings of your books. Um, But it's so true. Like I, I'm really drawn to how passionate you are because you know that this stuff works and you've seen it because you've been working with people for almost two decades in this space. So it's like, you understand you've seen like entire worlds for people shift, which shifts their communities, the way they raise their children. So I highly encourage people to, where would you say is a good starting point? Um, Like if somebody's not going to come coach with you right away, like what's the first book that they should read? Um, you should go to probably, they should probably go to uplevel.com. You don't have to buy anything. I have free workbooks there. I have, um, a class there that's like $47 for uplevel basics. I have a lot of freebies because people need to know who I am. So if you go to uplevel.com, progressiveloveacademy.com, or even follow me on Instagram at progressive love Academy, you can really get a feel for things. Then you can choose your book then you can choose, you know, higher level courses. But because we've been doing this for so long, we have 80,000 course hours online. So our courses are immense and immaculate and and easy to access, but start with free stuff. That's what I would say. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I'm going to make sure I link all of this stuff in the show notes for everybody who's listening, who needs to see it and, you know, copy and paste it into URL. Um, Yeah. Because I like, I'm already like, I need to come and check this stuff out. I mean, I've done a little bit of perusing, but the fact that you, you know, you give so much away really speaks to the fact that you operate from your highest self as well. And it takes it back to like, everything is meant to serve us. We're all growing together. Like if we can up level, you know, the world around us, then we are, we're, we're all rising together. Um, and so I think, yeah, you have a beautiful, oh, you have a beautiful mission. That's crazy. You just said, Ashe. I'm, I'm actually fundraising right now for an art project that's named Ashe. It is, oh, I'll just plug it for a second. Um, it's, I, I have this friend, Aaron, who heads up, it's called the Black Burner Project. And it's a community organization. I go to Burning Man every year. Um, and it's just this community of black burners that want to increase diversity and inclusion and expression of black and African-American people who go to Burning Man. And it's this massive photography installation. Wow. Just the be- three beautiful, beautiful people who go to Burning Man, just photos. And I'll send it to you anyway. And the piece is called um, Ashe. Yeah. Oh. So Ashe, you'll love it. Ashe, it means power. I want you to link me in with them because I would love to go to Burning Man one year. It's it's been it's been so much work in the ivory tower of building all of these systems and you know training three hundred coaches. I train love coaches in this system so they can be all over the world. I have them on seven oh, continents. Cool. Yeah, so I've been so busy with that for twenty years and raising three kids. I've never gone to Burning Man. Okay, well next year you are coming to Burning Man. <laughs> like it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> 
And, you know, we feel like the Tony Robbins of our polyamory coaching industry. But because polyamory was so hush hush before we all pushed it out to the top with our freaking concerted effort before everything, you know, it's just like, why has it taken so long? But I'm glad it's here. You understand? But now I want to go have fun. You know, I really do. Yeah. Well, I, you're invited. I'm going to connect you with Aaron, but actually I, I, there's this, I want to touch on this for a second because I don't know, we kind of got here in an interesting way. I would say, okay, you've been laying this groundwork and foundation, as you've said, like for, for many years, like taking the arrows, fighting the fight. And from my perspective, right, I'm 37. I'm a, I'm a white woman in America. I feel like I got into polyamory like accidentally. My husband and I had an accidental threesome, which opened our marriage at the very beginning. And it was never an intention. It wasn't born out of like, oh, let's, you know, we're, we need other things to continue to fulfill us and support our marriages from the get go. Mm. But, and I was very private for a long time because I had so much shame around it. I, I only came out like three years ago. But the more I researched because I started this show, I've seen just in looking back how much the black community has actually been at the forefront of like normalizing all of this and doing so much work around it. But then obviously there's a huge disparity in like what you see in media and television and there's like this underrepresentation. So I don't know. I mean, I I don't speak about that a lot because I feel like I don't have the the seat to and I have you here. So can you speak to that for a moment? I could speak about it, but I just might start crying because it has been so sad to watch, you know, when we look at, you know, even polyamory conferences or the people who are able to organize and they have the money to put certain things together. And then it's like, you know, we've been at this for like 20 years. We can be, we can speak there. And it's like all these people were born because we fucking stood in a bullet. Like yeah. I, I, I was on Dr. Phil and he literally blackballed us from TV for eight years because we embarrassed him about polyamory. So on his show, you know, we were talking about Polly and the audience would say, boo, boo. And, and it was terrible. Wow. It was humiliating. It was humiliating because we were trying to, we thought we were revolutionaries and forward thinkers. And he invited us there as experts. He invited us there to just penalize us, right? But this is one of the shows that has catapulted and sent the information to millions. You understand? Because they still plan it today. But anyways... So I said to Dr. Phil, I said, hey, what if you what if you were attracted to somebody at work and it was just an honest feeling? You didn't do anything with them. And you came home and told your wife. And he said she would hit me on the head with a with a with a metal pot. And I said, well, you think that's a good relationship? Is that authentic or do you have an authentic connection with her? You can't really tell her all of your thoughts. That's what you're saying is is better than Polly. And so we embarrass him because yeah. <laughs> for once the audience didn't go boom. So they were like, yeah, let's see where this goes. What's your answer, Dr. Phil? Yeah. Right. Like what, what's the answer? You know, why not? Why can't you say that? So anyways, the point is, is that we've done all these hard things and it just feels like finally now we'll be on TLC in the fall, but it just feels like why wouldn't these books and these we self-publish. We don't have, we've self-done all of this. We have no investment. We've done it all. We just hope the doors open and that every person of every origin can come through and get this goodness and these gifts. So yeah. I'm so happy to meet you, Jessica. You are just a 
Oh, just for addressing that and allowing me to speak about that. It's been so hard. And it's, it's like nobody wants to see you as that expert that you are because I'm a triple minority woman, black from Detroit, you know, omnisexual and poly. It's like well, that, that means I'm not a scholar. I graduated from Howard University in psychology. Yeah. Why wouldn't my books be just as important as anybody else's? Exactly. Yeah. I appreciate you talking about it and getting vulnerable with uh, and my listeners because um, I have a really good community and they so appreciate your perspective already. I can't wait for how many people are going to to write in about this. And I, I just am really honored to be able to have you on the show and share your work and send people your way. And I want to come meet you. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> I'm coming to Houston. Come. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, I need to go meet Kenya. Um, well, this has been lovely. I wish we had more time. Maybe we'll do a round two um, and, and dive in deeper because we got deep earlier and I was like, oh, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. But I appreciate you and sending you so much love and gratitude. And thank you for your work as well. That is a wrap, my loves, and it has been another beautiful episode. To get to know other people that are on this journey that have a way different walk of life than me or from you, and to listen, but then to also notice the similarities and sort of these basic human needs and wants and desires that we all share and that we have in common, and to normalize talking about them and accepting each other for them, it's why I do what I do. It's why I... I, I love doing this show. So thank you for listening. Of course, if you love this episode, share it with somebody that you think would enjoy it too, or that it might help. Never hesitate to leave a review on Apple or iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening from. And don't forget, we have a what's your relationship style quiz. It's free. I would love for you all to take it. It takes less than five minutes to find out, are you more monogamish? Are you more open? Are you actually poly and you don't even realize it? So the link for all of this stuff is in my bio. It's in the show notes. Once you take it, if you're out and you're open, screenshot it and share your results by tagging us on Instagram so that we can be a part of your journey. I love you all so much and I'll see you next week. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.